Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. So hello, welcome to the audit podcast. If you are not a subscriber already, and this is your first uh, go around with us, welcome. I'm taking three of the podcasts that we've recorded and combining all the analytics talk within those so that the people attending them can do whatever you do when you listen to a podcast. You want to wash the dishes or mow the lawn or do whatever you want to do, but a chance to get away from sitting in front of their screen. So um, the first person that we have is Eric Score, who's actually a, a Portland native, and he's the audit manager at Holman Enterprises. We just talk broadly about um, auto analytics and descriptive analytics and, and things like that. And we get into RPA a little bit towards the end. And, and these are all you know topics that we're talking about during the training. So we touch on those, which um, I think is going to be really good to, to kind of hear it again and hear it from someone else's perspective. And then after that, we'll have Mark Haffitz on. Mark's episode has actually already been published. He was the uh, one of the guinea pigs, I guess. He was the, the second episode. Um, that we published and he is with Emory University. He's the director of data analytics within internal audit. And the really nice thing about his episodes, we we go into a lot of use cases within analytics and they are on the higher ed side, but still it's it's good to hear some examples and and maybe something could pop in your brain of, uh, of audit analytics that you could do at your company. And then lastly, we have Steve Vigil, and Steve is a uh, runs a CPA and accounting firm in New Mexico, and he has really gotten into sentiment analysis, and he can kind of explain it, but it's basically analyzing text and understanding what that text, uh, how it kind of makes the reader feel, more or less. Uh, he does a better job of describing it than I do. But anyway, so that's it. I will we'll, we'll run with Eric's right after this intro. And then after Eric's, there'll just be a brief uh, segue uh, that will segue into Mark so that you kind of know what's going on there. Um, and then after that, obviously, we'll segue into Stevens. All right. With that, here we go. We talked a little bit about like what you were doing, but with analytics, are there, are there specific use cases within analytics that you could speak to? Well, I think we use analytics a lot from a, still in the descriptive and diagnostic phases, but there's so much value, I think that comes from those two phases. Uh, and it's pretty fantastic what value we can bring through just using those. Uh, let's just take, I mean, I do a lot of descriptive. So I, I try to encourage auditors just take take a step back and understand the business because a lot of time, go can, ahead. Can you, can you define what, so most of the folks that listen probably aren't necessarily in the analytics space, what, what descriptive yeah. analytics, what that actually means? Yeah, so descriptive analytics is really just, 
you know, what, what's happened, or I, I like to look at it as more of what's, what's going on, just learning about something, right? Whatever you want to look at. And there's different, I use it a lot in terms of entities. Like there are a lot of different entities to audit. So get to know your entity, right? So how much money do they uh, earn in revenue? How much profit do they have? How many assets, how many employees, all of these types of things is, are really helpful to the auditor because at the end of the day, if you don't know what's going on in the business, you can't translate the data that you find in, in analytics. Right. Okay. And so what were some of the use cases you were getting at? Well, we use it to, to plan the audits a lot of times. So at an entity level, we'll use it a lot of times, right. To plan out risk because we only have a small number of resources, right. So you need to go and understand the risks and and things just keep changing. I think the the pace of change is just amazing nowadays. So an entity could be doing really well at one point in time, but then the next time you go around to look at it on your maybe your standard audit audit plan, it's entirely different. Mm-hmm. It has a different set of outcomes. Um, we talked. I think you a recent guest you had on talked about agile auditing. Uh-huh. I mean that's exactly it. So it's staying up on, on top of that. So looking at key performance indicators that really gets down to the diagnostic part of things. So maybe you compare one entity to another entity and you say, okay, these entities are the same size, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe they really do about the same thing, right? Their same business purpose overall, but one is making money and one is not making money. Right. So then <laughs> Why, why is that the case? So then yeah. you can start to diagnose, right? And you start kind of drilling down. You look at the different segments of the business and you say, why is, what, what is, what is causing the loss in the one that's losing money? And then you just keep drilling down. And then we, so that we also use a lot in regards to process level mm-hmm. analysis, you know, what, where, how many, how many, purchase orders are they are are these is this business processing why are they processing so many Can, I, I like to break it down on a daily basis right and i like to say how many is one person processing in one day and you kind of look at yourself and say does that make sense like can someone even do that it's yeah. that's yeah, 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 exactly. that, that is a lot of purchase orders to, to handle so maybe there's yeah. an operational opportunity there yeah the, the example that i that i look at often and tell people about is with credit card or p card purchases and that approval process yeah you get that level of data that shows who's approving and when then you can aggregate it and you can say, all right, there's no way Jan in accounting is approving 150 transactions, you know, a day or every two days or whatever. Clearly the review is not happening at a level of precision and sensitivity that it should be happening at. Um, Or maybe you could even argue that maybe that level doesn't need to be applied. That much scrutiny doesn't need to be applied to it. But um, that's interesting that you said that because that's, that's an example that, that I come back to a lot. And so, um, I mean, I think your example is a really good one. There's a lot of <clears throat> initial thought about it's the evolution, like I say, the maturity of the of the risk management process. I think audit can really help out on because maybe at first there's no control that there was no review over that purchase that that P card purchases right. So then someone started reviewing it, but no one really explained to that person 
what they're supposed to do in their review and how to do it. So they just kind of do their best and, and then the transactions start building up. And so it becomes overwhelming and they just, they just keep hitting the button and they're really not, it's really not doing any good. Right. Yeah. And, and then something breaks again, like someone takes advantage of the system and it doesn't get caught. So then you have to refine it and then you, that's, and then you build a better control. Right. So it's, we're, we're out there trying to identify that as soon as possible, maybe even trying to proactively, right, get the control to change, make it more automated instead of manual to make it more efficient and effective. Yeah. And let's face it, when it comes to that control, uh, Eric, you're my manager, you approve mine, you go, I've been working with Trent for 10 years, approve, 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 approve. you know, like I yeah, trust right. you, I'm gonna, you know, so um, that's, a, I guess, a little bit of my soapbox on the <laughs> approval yeah, process. Yeah, those, yeah but, for sure. Okay, so that was, we were talking descriptive, right? And then you said there's another type that you like to use. What was that one? And what are some uh, kind of a definite? Just the diagnostic, diagnostic analytics. And, you know, that's really about why, why is something, something happening, right? So what's causing, I, I think I talked a little bit about before looking, when you're looking at key performance indicators and comparing one one entity or one process, any, anything you're comparing one thing to another thing, then you start getting into the diagnostic. It, I mean, they go really hand in hand, right? Because uh, you're in the descriptive analytics, you're really understanding what you're looking at. And in the diagnostic, you're finding a problem, but then you're going back to understanding why the problem. So then you're learning more about the problem uh, To And the whole goal of this is, not to do the analytics, right? Like the whole goal is to under, better understand the risk and better mitigate, help the business to mitigate the risk, see if it's covered with a control. Uh, because a lot of times what I'm finding is business, the, the business process owners don't really, you know, they, everyone thinks they, I, I, they know about the risk and I, you know, everyone does have a sense for risk. I, uh, but internal auditors really get good at understanding risk. And, and I mean, that's where our real value lies is that intersection between risk process and control. Mm -hmm. And we can't take that for granted because uh, a lot of times when people are responding to risk, they're like, let's use your P card example. Uh, they look at, okay, well, what can the system do? Right. Oh, well, let's, let's take this and let's do that. Okay. They could do that. Oh, cool. Let's do that. You know, let's try that out. Right. It, there's not a real detailed analysis. A lot of times of here are the specific risks and, and ranking them, for instance, of here are the most important risks. So let's do this in, uh -huh. uh, in relationship to that risk. And, and it's more reactive than uh, as well. So we come in and we can help diagnose those issues and then help to fix them and change it accordingly. And so you, you said this and started to go down it and I wanted to see if you wanted to elaborate on it, but <clears throat> you said the goal isn't just to do analytics, um, which I think some people might be getting caught up in now because mainly because of the marketing that says you have to do analytics, you know? Um, and so people say, all right, we have to do analytics. We, we need to do analytics. And it's almost become in that sense, a check the box kind of situation. Um, so if the goal isn't just to do analytics, then what is the goal with analytics? From an internal audit perspective, I think the goal for analytics is to always help the business improve, right? So that really means under, better understanding the risks that exist out there 
and then helping to specifically identify and suggest your changes, right? Maybe that's control implementation. Maybe it's just a process change, but really helping the business respond to that risk so it doesn't come to fruition. All right. So we've talked the two types that you use. I would imagine, though, that you don't go in saying, I'm going to do a descriptive analysis, right? Like it just kind of happens. Is that? Yeah, I mean, I encourage auditors to think, right? So I think it's, it's we, we, we look, what are we going to do? And we, we're looking at what the risks are, right? So we start with the risks. I try to encourage my team to start with the risks and then identify the analytic that's going to help you understand that risk yeah. as opposed to vice versa. Some, I, I will admit sometimes it's, they do work hand in hand. I think some, sometimes you need to just do analytics to help identify what you, what you're, what risks you're trying to look at. I mm-hmm. think it, it depends on how mature the risk environment and risk management system is out there. So some, some are really well defined, but some are not defined at all. And I think when it's really not defined, sometimes you use the analytics purely just to understand the risk. But the more you drill into it, uh, you, I think you start, you, it's more about finding, finding the niche, right? Finding what is leading to this problem. You know, let's take, for example, what I try to do a lot of times is, you know, compare maybe uh, the the general ledger information against uh, subsidiary type ledger information and in different systems, right? There are oftentimes a lot of different computer systems being used out there. And if you can compare the two, a, a lot of times you can really start to see where things went awry, right? So something in a shipping system need, should be posted in the general ledger. Well, and if you compare the two together, you're finding that some don't make it into the general ledger. So then you, then you start seeing why is that the case? And so then you can start getting into as well uh, the shipping system a little bit further. You can understand the process a little bit better, ask the right questions to the different people uh, because a lot of people don't look at both. Right. So there's a lot of people dealing with the general ledger. There's a lot of people just dealing with the shipping record, for instance, but they're not dealing with both. But internal audit has that really unique perspective because we see both and we understand both. And so we can connect the dots. And the great thing as well about analytics nowadays is that uh, we can start grabbing 100 percent of the population to start identifying uh, issues and better providing that assurance. It's not a random, like historically doing this, you know, when I first started, it's do your random sample uh, and get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> if you find an issue, you get lucky and you're like, oh, we found an issue. But right. uh, <laughs> but nowadays it's, uh, you're really trying to, the better you can find that risk, you can better target that risk and pull the analytics, pull the data specifically related to that risk. So in that example I'm giving with the, with shipping, right? You, if you can see that certain uh, uh, shipments aren't making it into the general ledger, you can pull that whole time period of shipments and compare that whole time period against the general ledger. And you can specifically say 
this one, this one, and this one didn't make it into the general ledger. And you can ask yourself, and I do this with my team all the time, why didn't this one, this one, and this one make it in there? So let's, is there a different process that only applies to this one? Is it a different person? Maybe there's one person out there that didn't get the training that they're supposed to get the training. So you're really getting to that root cause. And then once you get to that root cause, you can really suggest a really valuable thing to the business. Yeah. And that's part of the beauty of analytics is, and what I've seen is like, if I'll go to do a walkthrough and the business side says, this is how the process works. I'll say, all right, and get the data and you more or less go and confirm it in the data through some testing of the controls or testing the data. And then inevitably there is a percentage that pops out that did not meet, you know, didn't follow the process of what the business said. And you go back and you're like, all right, these 15 out of a thousand didn't. And they're like, oh yeah, that's because Mark owns those uh, 13 and he does it this way. And those other two are owned by Denise and she does it like this. And that's why those don't really make sense. And it's like, if we didn't look at it in the data and see all that, then that never would have been identified. Um, the So you're giving a, a, a reconciliation example. And, yeah. and I think that's one that, because there's so much you can do with analytics. It's like uh, cool, <laughs> more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, the, maybe the recon gets left out sometimes. Yep. And I know I've done one where I did a reconciliation between two systems um, and found some transactions the same way. They didn't make it over. And what actually was happening is in, in the one system, they were making manual adjustments that weren't making it through to the other, and they were just yeah. getting missed in the process. And so bringing back like analytics to a control gap example, that was one of them where they said, we didn't even know that these existed. Like management said, we didn't even know you yeah. could do this there more or less. Um, so the result of that was they put a control in place to identify those manual adjustments on a routine basis and then management could go in and approve them. Um, so that's yeah, the that, thing that you can, you can do just even with a, something as standard or as typical as a reconciliation. Cause I think that's something that we all as audit, especially like CPAs and folks with accounting backgrounds understand a reconciliation. Yeah. And I think thinking is an important part of the puzzle as well for analytics if you again if you just put some data into this software and it spits out data you're not going to know what to do with it right so it's really thinking ahead about what's your goal or it's maybe you don't exactly know i think that's okay sometimes and just do an analysis but but then you need to sit down and kind of ask yourself what 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 do i see you know does this make sense be taking the shipping example again, for instance, I've done, if you look at, sh- maybe you break down shipping sh- for on a daily basis for a long period of time and you start seeing trends that are, okay, for some reason at the end, of the last day of every month, the ship number of sh- shipments really increases, right? So then you're like, well, why is that the case? So then you can start asking those questions and obviously from a revenue recognition standpoint, uh, I think that's important to understand that because maybe, you know, I think operationally, a lot of times people are oftentimes trying to just push it in at the end of the month to, so they can get their revenue, right? But that yeah. might also lead to the fact that maybe you need to focus more of your testing at the at that on that last day of the month, and, or maybe they need a control over that last day of month specifically if they don't already have one. Internal audit is such a 
an amazing place and an amazing opportunity to learn about the business. And many internal auto departments that I've seen are great stepping stones for people within a business, mm-hmm. right? Uh, future leaders, future financial leaders, a lot of times come from internal audit. Uh, maybe not even, and a lot of even those financial leaders just become just more operational leaders at the same time, right? So I think if you you can ask what are your career goals early on, you can work with that individual uh, to better achieve them. And I think what happens is you can better motivate people, okay, to do what needs to be done, right? So we just spent a while talking about you need to understand the operations, right? Well, if you want to grow in your career and into operations, the the first place to start is start learning about the operations, right? <laughs> like, uh, and again, no better place to start than internal audit. And what you can do is a uh, align people, I think, with different areas that they're interested in. Uh, we're talking a lot here about analytics. So you can also find maybe people have, for instance, a specific desire to do analytics, right? So maybe you can help build that out and give them, start giving them projects and giving them training, giving them a, a, a outside so training support, like going back to school you know, those types of things can really be helpful. And you're part, you're in, in essence, you're partnering, partnering with your employees to work together to, uh, to accomplish a goal. Yeah. That's the thing that kind of sticks out to me from what you said is like you have access and also maybe opportunities, actually opportunity is a better word. We have the opportunity within audit to do so much. And so the analytics is what popped out to me is like, if there's nobody on the team that does analytics, but somebody's interested in it, I mean, who's going to, you know, what management yeah. leader is going to say, you know what, I don't want you to learn that. You know, yeah. they're, they're going to be supportive and give that, you know, their staff the tools and the resources they need to learn it. Yeah. Um, and then if that's something that they end up being a passion about and they want to do it, you know, uh, analytics with the marketing team and, and leave audit or something, they have that skill set or even thinking about cybersecurity and, how hot of an area it is right now. If an audit leader, if a, you know, hears from a staff, Hey, I really want to be, you know, I want, I'm interested in cybersecurity and I want to make that like a core competency of mine. They're not going to say it. No. <laughs> not yeah, say. Right. Well, and I think it, it just, it's, it's important. It's, and it's vital, I would say, because we talked about this rapid change that happens there's also this specialization. It, everything is very complex. So we need people, we need a diverse team, right? Like we can't, we're not in the days any longer that there's one person maybe at the top that knows everything. That's just not possible. It's not realistic. I think you need a team, a, a diverse team that focuses in different areas and then works together to, you know, uh, partner up within the internal audit department to, you know, tackle specific projects, specific risks that you're that you're looking at throughout the organization because one person just can't handle it all anymore. Yeah. So we've talked a lot of analytics. Is there any other topic that you want to, with the floor being yours, get off your chest or speak to or preach on or any anything to that effect? Well, you brought up RPA 
I think uh, before. I think that was a that's a really interesting interesting evolution recently. Uh, robotics process automation. <laughs> yeah. So that let's uh, again kind of like what descriptive for the, the the folks that don't know what is RPA and uh, not only the acronym but kind of what is it theoretically. Yeah. So theoretically you're essentially taking a process and automating it, right? And it's pretty simple, I guess, yeah. <laughs> when, it, when you break it down. And, uh, and, but it's really powerful, right? Simple but powerful, right? I mean, this, in essence, what businesses are doing is you, there's software now that you can uh, leverage where you can tell the software how to go about doing the process that you've developed over years probably. Yeah. And the system can do it by itself and a lot faster. Right. And it's, I see it popping up uh, at different businesses and I keep talking about it when I uh, meet peers and audit peers uh, in conferences or meetings, whatever. I, I think it keeps coming up because it's going to, definitely revolutionize things across the board. I see a lot of accounting processes that were mundane, I guess, being transformed into RPA. And it's really gonna be helpful, I think, in terms of giving people that more, you know, allow people to enjoy their jobs more and focus more on I think the more important things that are out there, right? I, I don't, there's not a lot of people out there that just like to sit and do the same thing every single day, right? But it needs to be done. Unless they're a right? robot. Yeah, again, a robot likes that. <laughs> we, we program them to like that. So I think it's uh, gonna be really helpful uh, from an accounting standpoint because accounting even more, uh, it's, it's like the evolution from going paper uh, accounting to computer accounting, right? Like now there's, now there's more thinking involved. Now there's more uh, value that uh, an accountant can add. Right. And then from a, from an audit standpoint, I think it's important because I think it's another opportunity for us to partner with uh, IT professionals as well. Uh, I mean, there's such a overlap. Uh, I have dealt a lot in the financial operational uh, audit world um, you know, but there's, it's, there's such an opportunity to, for IT auditors to kind of work together with financial and op operational auditors, uh, to tackle this RPA because, you know, from an IT perspective, uh, you need to make sure that we're, we're putting processes out there, right? You're putting processes from the company typically into a third party software. We need to make sure it's secure. We need to make sure that it's being maintained uh, because things break yep. often. There's a lot of different aspects to it. So if, let's say you're taking um, something from a website. Uh, maybe the website changes and you didn't, you didn't, the software can't react to that. It might break. And if everyone, if no one's checking it, it might break and no one knows about it. So you need to, you need to make sure it's being monitored, you know, setting up different controls. So that's from an IT standpoint, but from, from a financial 
standpoint, you're taking pre-existing processes and putting them into the computer, but you need to make sure all of those different processes get into there. It's because oftentimes maybe I've seen individuals, you know, hand, maybe just hand it over to IT and then IT does it, but IT doesn't really understand the the financial part of it. So they might uh, not, it might get lost in the communication, right? Because uh, maybe a process isn't documented uh, and they miss a step, for instance. So uh, the good thing, maybe it'll break when you try to run the RPA process. Uh, but if it doesn't break, maybe it, maybe no one's going to even notice. But there's still a key process that should have been included, like a key field that needs to be filled out that that we use as a control that no one really identifies. So uh, having inter audit kind of review reviewing the designs. Uh, of those, I think will add a lot of value as well. Say, all right, Eric. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is this is great. I really appreciate having more discussions about inter audit. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, so that was Eric's episode, at least relative to the analytics discussion and the RPA discussion. Um, I know that we also talked a little bit about management and how to to train up staff, which really doesn't, didn't have a ton to do with analytics, but I just liked the answer so much, I decided to leave it in there. Next, we have Mark Haffitz. Uh, Mark's episode has actually already been published. Um, like I said, he was the, the number two episode and was kind of one of the guinea pigs. So a lot of appreciation for Mark for coming on when there really wasn't even a show yet. So, all right, here's Mark. Mark, if you could just kind of give us a background in analytics and really kind of the importance of analytics and uh, kind of a high level understanding of what it means to, to be using analytics in audit. Sure. So I think the really the first question, you know, one needs to ask is why use data analytics? And some of the reasons why we should use data analytics are it supports the risk assessment. Uh, it enhances ability to identify emerging or apparent risks. It also enhances the ability to communicate issues to management. Uh, it's also a great source of valuable information, and it also helps with being able to monitor the operating effectiveness of internal controls. And another important thing is that it allows internal audit, the internal audit staff to work smarter, not harder. It's also and, really cool. <laughs> yeah, it is really cool, yeah. Um, you know, and I think the first place you really need to start is defining what, what is data analytics, because I think depending upon who you talk to, everybody may have a different definition. So I'll just give you, you know, my definition. Sure. Um, so basically, data analytics is a process of inspecting, cleaning, transforming, and modeling data with the goal of discovering useful information, suggesting conclusions, and supporting decision-making. Uh, some of the data analytics techniques include data mining, cleansing, and blending, uh, continuous controls monitoring and auditing, uh, business intelligence, and then predictive analytics. Uh, I guess I want to talk a little about, you know, when you're using data analytics, uh, it really does support the risk assessment. Um, it can enhance the ability to identify emerging or apparent risks, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and it also uh, allows for the ability to 
monitor control effectiveness, uh, identify exception transactions, and it's a source for business intelligence and can add to value enhancement. And so, you know, we get to a point where you know, we're talking about, let's say, CCM, and, um, you know, given the current economic climate in, in our COVID-19 pandemic right now, uh, I guess I want to get a, a show of hands from the audience of, you know, who's got a budget to actually purchase a continuous controls monitoring system versus building one. Right. Yeah. So as I see out there, all, all you fans, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty limited budget right now. Yeah. So in our situation, and I'm going back now eight years before any pandemics were around and our budgets were still small, you know, and so we really couldn't afford to purchase a CCM solution. We decided to go ahead and build our own. And so we, we did save a lot of, and I'll talk a little bit later about, again, some of the benefits uh, to doing that. So, um, you know, in talking about uh, some of the quick wins, uh, we look at things like uh, in accounts payable, we can easily identify, let's say, uh, when we have duplicate um, vendors in the master file. Uh, for example, you know, you have, let's say, you know, IBM or I.B.M. or international business machines, you know, things like that. It's really the same vendor, but you have it in there multiple times. Right. Data analysts can easily identify those. Uh, one of the things also that you can use it for, let's say from the human resources side is um, doing new hire background checks to make sure they were actually completed. So that way, let's say, um, you know, if you're, if you have a new hire, you want to make sure that human resources actually completed that background check. So you can compare um, who are your new hires to the results of background checks to make sure that actually happened. Uh, also, we can look for uh, rehired employees where, let's say, if an employee had been previously terminated for cause, meaning maybe a policy violation or misconduct, uh, data analytics gives us the ability to basically look back to see what was the reason for their previous termination. And sometimes what, what happens is that the um, talent acquisition group or the recruiters, um, you know, they're supposed to really uh, check to make sure that there wasn't any kind of issues with an, an employee in their previous employment. But sometimes those things do kind of sneak through. And with analytics, it will catch that uh, pretty quickly. Uh, also, you can use analytics for doing uh, bank reconciliations. Uh, and make sure that those have the proper approvals. And also um, for doing uh, some really um, IT access control where you're looking for terminated employees that still have access. Uh, when we did some initial testing on that, we found uh, some IDs that had access to some of our systems where the employees were actually deceased. So that can happen. <laughs> yeah, I know that the term test, that's actually the first analytics test that I ever really did in audit and used to do it across all kinds of different systems. Um, and that was kind of the, when I learned how to do that and I just, you know, did it in Excel, but you know, this would be look up or something. Um, and when I did that and I looked at it and said, 
we just tested every single one of these and it took, you know, five minutes or we could have taken a sample and it would have taken forever and how much more coverage we got from it. So whenever somebody brings up the term test one, that one always uh, kind of resonates just because it's the, the one that I did, you know, the first one that I ever did. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the low hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, and again, you talk about, you know, a sample. Well, how often do you, do you actually find something when you're taking a sample? Right. You know, exception. So when you can cover 100% of the transactions, you know, you're not going to miss anything. Right. Pretty much a no-brainer. Um, yeah, so some of the other areas uh, uh, for the quick wins, uh, let's say we look at payment integrity, where, again, looking at duplicate, for duplicate payments. Uh, also, let's say in the uh, travel and expense area, um, we have certain policies related to when can an employee use a per diem, um, you know, for, for traveling. And typically we, we, the policy states right now that you can't use a per diem for a domestic trip. So you can use it for international, but not for domestic. And, you know, when we first ran, ran our analysis, we, we saw there were a number of employees who actually had done that. And then what you can do is then compare that to see, well, did they actually uh, go to a conference where the conference uh, actually had meals for them. And so, you know, you're catching people who are basically double dipping on that. Right. Um, another area that we look at is for fictitious vendors where a vendor gets set up uh, and then um, they get paid and all of a sudden they, they become deactivated. So we're looking for change and change back, that kind of thing. Oh, uh, okay. So you look at, how long after they were set up that they were removed? Yeah, if, if there were payments made, yeah. then we, we noticed that there was, let's say it all happened within the same day, that would set off a flag for us. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one before. I'm definitely yeah. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, another area, uh, again, getting back to, let's say, in human resources, um, conflicts of interest where um, you have employees that have been set up in your vendor master as uh, as a supplier um, or maybe there's been p card charges uh, that uh, are for that um, employee as well so this way what we're doing basically is we're just checking to, to see you know are there any employees that are showing up in the vendor master or were there any p card charges against them we can compare you know their name their address and uh, also their, their, their bank accounts. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, bank, that bank account one's kind of a dead giveaway when you, when you see yeah. a match on the <laughs> bank account address, yeah. depending on how you do it, you get, you can get some false positives. Um, phone number I've seen yeah, a little bit of results, but yeah, you get that, uh, those matching bank account numbers. There's, there's not a whole lot of questions and <laughs> digging that you have to do after you get that one. Right. Pretty, pretty straightforward on that. Um, another one that we, we like to run is um, looking for employees that, let's say, are enrolled for, let's say, medical benefits, but they're not getting a payroll deduction. So uh, we found out that the benefits group had a third party that would run this kind of a test, but they only ran it annually. And so uh, really it needs to be run every time payroll runs, because yeah. that's when the deduction occurs. Now, we did run into some issues where there can be some timing uh, problems involved where 
let's say uh, an employee had gone out on FMLA and uh, then their uh, vacation time runs out. And so now they're no longer getting that deduction. And so then they're basically paying it back, you know, out of, out of their pocket. Yeah. And so sometimes it takes a, a little bit of time you know, for all that processing to occur where uh, we can identify, okay, yeah, here's the, the employee that now has to pay back, you know, that amount. And, um, you know, when did that payment actually occur? Uh, and usually, though, the, the, the folks in benefits kind of know who those people are. So when they get the report, they can kind of just crash them off of this pretty quickly. Yeah. But that's been a, a very valuable one to us as well. Uh, we run that both for um, our university and for healthcare. Um, and then in the, in the payroll area, we look for uh, issues of, we have a supplemental payroll system where, you know, employees can get paid uh, can have a payment made that is outside of their say, normal salary, whether it's for um, uh, extra duty, you know, things like that, or um, maybe it was uh, for a stipend, something, you know, something that, again, that's not part of the normal pay. And so we, we um, can look for duplicates in that where a lot of times what will happen is maybe it's the admin assistant that's entering the um, payment and they enter one and then four days later, they forgot if they entered it or not. And so they enter it again. And there's, there is actually an approval workflow process involved with that. But typically what we're finding is a lot of the approvers think, oh, it's a new one because it's on a different day. Right. And they just get to approve it. <laughs> so then we can catch that before the payment actually occurs. Um, also, we look for, um, time and attendance issues where we have a clocking system where we, we look to see if um, an employee is clocking for two or more jobs at the same time. So in our, at our university and we, we actually allow employees to have multiple concurrent jobs. So especially with students where they could have two or three or four jobs. And so we're making sure that, uh, and also we can catch this if they're sitting in their classroom and they're clocking from their classroom. Oh, nice. <laughs> or, or they're sitting in their dorm. So basically when they're clocking is they're, they're basically you know, clocking using their phone. Okay. So we can see what the phone number is and then we can pretty much tell you know, where it's coming from. Yeah. And so um, we tend to catch that. I mean, luckily it doesn't happen too often. Um, and in some cases there's some legitimate reasons for it where maybe they're, they're clocking from their dorm and it turns out that, um, you know, maybe they're working for a faculty who said it's fine, you can work from your dorm, but obviously we, we wouldn't know that. So yeah. we have to have some interviews to understand exactly what's going on with that. Um, but that's always, you know, kind of a fun one, especially, you know, we're identifying those students that are in class or are clocking. All right. I hope you enjoyed Mark's episode. Um, next we have Steve Vigil who's talking sentiment analysis and then we'll, we'll be wrapping it up and deleting the episode. Thanks for listening. Well, Trent, thank you for having me on this podcast today. I wanted to talk to you about this dashboard that provides uh, quite a variety of analytics here. This dashboard is insightful because it provides three approaches to analytics. It's descriptive, predictive, and diagnostics analytics that we have here that we're going to be talking about.
I don't know, we're talking sentiment analysis. Could you kind of describe what sentiment analysis is? Sure thing. Sentiment analysis is it seeks to discover the attitudes or opinions in the written text. Okay. And it includes a process of matching, summarizing, and visualizing. Okay. So let's break down each piece of the process here. When we get into this, we're assuming that we've already cleaned and prepped the data for analysis. So now what we want to do is match the data, match the, to the sentiment lexicon via an inner join. So let's, let's just dive in real quick to what an inner join is. If you can envision two circles overlapping each other, the area where they overlap each other, that's the inner join. Okay, so let's get back to sentiment analysis, right? So now what we want to do in the next step in the process is to summarize the information at a high level and at a more detailed level. Okay, from here, we can gain an understanding of what words drive positive and negative sentiment, for example. Okay, then the next step is to take it into visual. Okay, very useful charts are the bar charts because they give the counts. And the things that you can capture on those bar charts are sentiment scores, contributions to sentiment, and word counts. Okay, so at this point, you have a pretty good understanding of how things are looking at more at a high level and more detailed level of those words driving the sentiment, but you want to dive deeper. Okay, so you're going to bring in the bigrams or the sequence of two words. Okay, so let's say... So, so a, a bigram is a like a subset of a sentiment analysis. So there's sentiment analysis actually, within that term. A bigram is a, a type of sentiment analysis. It can be, it can, but it's actually separate by itself because it's, it's a different type of analytic that can give you information looking at words, two words together or okay. three words together or four words together, just depending on what you're trying to do here. Okay, so what in this case you're, you're looking like at, we're getting back to these negation words of no, not, never, and without. What you're trying to do is see what words follow those were just to shake out terms or help identify like without permission, uh, not tolerable, without authorization, for example. Okay. You can also use this information like from, from a cyber thing like we talked about, like the data and the malware and see what words shake out and follow after that just to give you information of what's happening in these breaches that we were talking about previously. Right. Okay, so let's let's get into a practical example here. All before, right. Before we do that, let me try to try to <laughs> um, explain it. I guess in a sense that analytics that we typically think about involve numbers, basically, and and right. aggregating right. numbers and counting numbers and doing math on numbers. And a sentiment analysis is more on the text, um, like literally within even a book, you could do a sentiment analysis. Um, yes. And what the sentiment analysis will tell you is what it tells you the uh, the feeling that is put off from yes. the words that's being used. So exactly an example that one of the first ones I've heard um, was um, on Twitter. So a company could maybe they're, they're doing a new promotion for some kind of product and they they put all this money into picking the right words on how to promote that item, even in uh, maybe on the commercial, they put a, a bunch of money into developing that copy. And then even on Twitter, they, you know, 
write the copy and and they put it out there and then based on the words that are used to reply to that that uh, tweet um, from other users they can get an understanding of how that product and how they're marketing it how it's being received so they could say yes there's a exactly very right. negative sentiment relative to how we promoted this product or relative to this product. And maybe we should draw it back a little bit more and try to promote it a different way or, or uh, invest money in, you know, a different product or something like that. Is that kind of overarching kind of, you're helps? getting it. Yes, Perfect. exactly. You're All getting right. it. So let's, let's talk about, uh, I think you were getting there to like a real world another real world sentiment analysis application. Yeah, because what I want to talk more and just continue to the discussion about cybersecurity, okay? So we're looking at it to monitor cybersecurity news stories, okay? And what and we see we, from why this. Are, why, why are we monitoring cybersecurity news stories? Okay, what, what you're looking to do is look at the trends as to what's happening. You, you're looking at the latest threats that are coming up, you know, that are emerging. You're looking at how entities were impacted, like legal fines, loss of business, for example. And, and that, that's why you're, you're diving into this just to see what's happening out there from a broad perspective, because cybersecurity, that's for everybody. I don't care what industry you're in. And, and that said, you know, you're, you're looking at these, these threats, they're always evolving. And one of the key things that through research I've seen is that they're impacting the supply chain in some shape, form, or fashion, and that's causing risk management efforts to increase. Okay, so things of example that you might be interested in looking at are malware activity, what those trends are. You're looking at vulnerability trends. You're looking at breach trends, all this stuff, because you know what, what you're really concerned about at the end of the day is, is okay, well, how are these new and emerging threats or risks going to impact my organization how could it impact my organization and it because from i think from an audit perspective internal audit especially is you're, you're trying to look things from a preventative measure if you can get things corrected and things uh, taken care of once you know about it the sooner the better that positions your organization to be better prepared to deal with this these threats if they were to uh, come your way okay so now, when we're looking at the, the example here, going a little more example, it's just like we're looking at the consequences of the breaches, okay? And you're looking at things such as the loss of business or legal fines that are impacting or, or have impacted other entities. And you're, you're looking to say, okay, what do I got to do to get there? Okay, so in, in this scenario, what you want to do is create a custom lexicon that's pertinent to cybersecurity terms and you need to group it into your own categories like risk or cause or or, or failures. This different things or buckets, what you think is appropriate here. All right. Then you follow the same sentiment analysis process where you're going to look into this stuff where you're matching it, you are summarizing it, and then you are visualizing it. Now, you can dive a little deeper, different ways of doing this. You can look at the, the actual words that are driving it that we saw on the uh, dashboard earlier and have some descriptive information like this. You can look at bigrams. You can 
slice and dice these any way you want. Okay. Yeah. So help, help us understand what regression analysis is. Regression analysis aims to tell us the relationship between two variables. Let's say, okay, first you got an independent variable that can stand alone, doesn't rely on another variable where the dependent variable, its movement stems directly from the results of the independent variable. Okay. So Regression analysis has that equation, you know, different ways of saying it. One way is y equals mx plus b. Another way of seeing is y equals a plus bx. So let's just use the y equals a plus bx. Y is the dependent variable. A is the y-intercept. B is the slope. And x is the independent variable. Okay, so let's get to predicting something, okay? This case, litigious sentiment word counts, right? So we are looking at the information. We did some correlation stuff just to see how well they're relating. We can see that they go in lockstep with each other and they have a high positive correlation. So next step is to take this to a scatter plot chart. We're going to place the negative sentiment word counts on the x-axis. We're going to place the litigious sentiment word counts on the y-axis. All right, next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna get the R programming software to add that trend line with those data points. And once we get that visual, we see that those data points are residing close to the trend line, means we have a good fit for the model. Okay, so one way to really measure this is something called R squared. And R squared, let's say for this example, computes to about, let's say 77%, because we knew from the other analytics that we had an 80% correlation. And with the 77% computation for the model, that translates to the model's inputs or the, which we're talking about the negative sentiment counts, word counts, they can account for about 77% of the output. And that translates to the litigious sentiment word counts. Okay. So, we see that with R squared, the higher the R squared, the more predictable, the more reliable the model is that you use. And I'll say the takeaways from regression analysis is it's a handy predictive tool. It allows an auditor to observe plausible relationships. And the higher the R squared, the more predictable the model is. The last thing I want to say is regression analysis can be a real game changer for an internal audit shop with its predictive power. The sentiment analysis, that's work that folks can reach out to you and that you can do in support of their audit function? Yeah, especially on the front end, to go out and look at information on the internet and get get this information into them. And, and like, there's so many, there's a wealth of information with like cybersecurity, it's so much financial stuff out there, just, just couple things naming it out there as to what their industry is about and how how other things and the other thing too is just paying attention to what the big firms are saying about what the trends are what's important in internal audit and you know using that as a guide so to speak uh -huh. how you how you might help them when we're looking at this chart we're looking at the prc that's public registry Clearinghouse, that's their website, and that's where this information comes from. And what we have is a timeline of the reactions to the data breaches over about a 15-year time horizon. 
we have three major categories of sentiment captured here, constraining, litigious, and uncertainty. And what we have is a useful chart because it gives us a picture of how the population is actually sizing up at a higher level, what I'd say is a 40,000 foot level. And what we have are the dominating one, that's constraining, and we have litigious and then uncertainty. As we can see over this timeline, it's been a rise and fall. Uh, they're about 2015, a little bit of a fall, but back, that's 2016 up to 2017, you see it more of a rise in this information. This is a descriptive piece of information because it gives you insight and it tells you from an exploratory piece or a point of view how this information can uh, let you down the road and give you uh, ammo or ammunition to ask questions about the data to get down to the nitty gritty. All right, so moving on to the next piece, well, what we have. Let's stick with that one real quick. Go back to, yeah, we could. Okay, let's um, go over that. Help me understand where this data is coming from again. It's from a website called the Public Registry Clearinghouse. And what they have is information available about cyber breaches and the history of it. And it's really useful because it gives you insight to what companies were impacted. It has information on files and stuff like that, how that was impacted. And it actually gives you locations, so longitude and latitude as well. That information isn't captured here because this is just the text portion of uh, each summary of the data breaches occurring over the time horizon that we're gotcha. viewing here. So this and, is a, so each data point is a what a word within the summary of what a description of a breach. Okay, so. What, what this is doing is, okay, we're going to get into this a little bit farther when we talk about sentiment analysis, but let's just go over a preview. Okay, so when, when you do all of the, the connecting of the words or through the inner joints, we'll talk about later, and we're gathering and compiling the information, what you got is you're capturing all these words and it's laying out what the sentiments are based on the matches. Okay, and then it's putting it into these higher level categories, constraining, litigious, and uncertainty. Okay. And then from there, it gives you a high level picture of what's going on in each of these, uh, what I would say, or overall. When you got a collection of uh, news stories or summaries, that's called a corpus. Mm -hmm. And with that, it captures all that information from all of the stories and however the words are matched and grouped into each of these higher level sentiments, then it gives you the opportunity to present it out either as a bar chart, you could use something like an area chart, just whatever, whatever it seems to be more uh, appealing or what makes sense to the reader to answer that question. So when you're taking a step back, okay, what questions does this answer? It answers the question of, Give me a high-level story of what's going on over this time horizon and give me the counts as to see what, what are the dominating categories. This is what I just said, constraining, litigious, or uncertainty. Gotcha. So that's why I say it's more informational and descriptive. Okay. Can you, can you kind of walk me through what a constraining sentiment versus a litigious sentiment versus uh, a sentiment of uncertainty, what those three kind of mean? Okay, constraining is like 
think in terms of what the word is, this was like what's holding you down, what what's considered a challenge in there. Okay, litigious is okay, what might be a legal issue or legally related. Uncertainty has to do with things that are like like unknown or tied to a risk in in this uh, mix of words. It, like we'll see later on, like may is a, an example of what's in that bucket of insert uncertainty or could things of that nature. Gotcha. Okay. So then, and then kind of like continuing to walk through this example. Um, and I, I'm, you might've mentioned what year uh, is, is, is the second from the top, but so not the top bar here, but the second from the top, could you kind of walk through what that is showing us in a little bit more detail? Sure thing. How this bar chart is reading is you got the counts coming up, okay? And for the uncertainty category, that really dropped that year. And what you're seeing is all the words that are captured in there is a count of probably well under 500. When you go to the next area where litigious is coming in, you're getting accounts of well over 1,500. Mm -hmm. All right. Then you go to the next group where it's captured the most words or the most matches is the constraining category. Gotcha. Okay. And so, so then what is, based on what we're seeing in the graph, what's the story that it's telling um, or what is the, well, yeah, maybe what's the story that, that we're seeing here? What's the data telling you? The, the data is telling me, okay, because I'm looking at that high level and it's giving me a picture. It's just like when you just group all the words into these three major categories, it's telling me what, what are the driving categories Okay, and it's got it, the ones with the farthest out that we see at the top of the graph there, I, actually, I should see closer to where the legend is on this chart. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's telling you which ones had the highest counts within that category constraining. Okay, so let's, let's say constraining had the, the dominating one, then the next level would be litigious, then the next one would be uncertainty. So really what it's trying to do is it's, when you look at, how to measure risk with sentiment analysis, what you're looking at is what are your counts looking like in, in each of these categories? And the higher the count, it's indicating where, where the drivers are, okay? At this level, these three categories that we have on this graph. Okay, uh, you wanna go to the second one? Sure thing. Okay, what this is trying to do is give us a picture of how things look in the distribution and we want to look at the density and what we're seeing okay we're breaking this down this is a little different for a density uh, chart because it doesn't have the density measure on the y-axis instead it has the the three categories of constraining litigious and uncertainty and when you get down to the word level what it's telling us is the, the density or the concentration is a count of around one word that's showing up or in the instances that it showed up when you're trying to match the information. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as we can see that it's, it's a right skewed distribution. And as we get closer to a count of five, you know, your, your density gets less and less. I know there's a little bit of a dip there that you see at a count of two 
And that's kind of interesting to see that. Uh, but as you, as I said, you, you move forward towards the count of five, it just lessens and lessens. Okay, so this one is capturing everything, all, all opinions here in this distribution, okay? And it's throwing out a similar pattern that we saw at when we looked at density by sentiment. And we can see that the concentration, actually the density is a count of around one. You see that it's a rise and fall. We have a, a, I should say another dip or actually a rise where we're seeing that the information is around two, just like we saw in the previous chart. And we're seeing that this information is right skewed as you move farther along at the, as the counts increase out to 10, your density gets less and less. So like all three of these charts that we've seen so far are to give us from an exploratory standpoint to describe what's happening in the population, to give us that understanding of where your concentrations are, what are your drivers that we saw on the first chart, and just to describe the population of words that you're reviewing. Okay. So we've got to get into some more of the details then? Yes, we are. Okay. This one is a correlogram, okay? This is still at a higher level, but what we're trying to do here is we're setting this up for a regression model coming up. All right. But what we're doing is we're doing a diagnostic approach here as opposed to the first three charts were descriptive. Okay. What a diagnostic approach does is it tells us the why or the causes of stuff, or it, it gives us the, the relationships of things. It tells us, it gives us that, that inner workings of how things are working, especially when you're looking at multiple columns in a data set, and you're saying, well, how do they relate? That's, this, this thing here is telling us, well, how does it relate? What we're looking at here is we're looking at this type of correlation is looking at the word counts and we're, we're looking at the relationships of these various word counts. And again, we're looking at more of the categories here. It's like now we're capturing in negative versus litigious. See, it had an 80% correlation. Of, so of all these, it had the highest correlation. Like if you go to the uncertainty versus negative, that's a 50% correlation. And then finally, it's that positive versus negative. That's a 40% correlation. So this is really good in giving you information or because it's telling you how the data relates. And this, from that standpoint, can tell you or actually tell you how to increase your risk awareness because you, you're gaining a familiarity of the inner workings or how things are related and how well they're related, especially if you're trying to do any predictive work. If you know your correlations, you know right off without doing any extra work of adding, adding data columns or data sets or extra variables like in that regression model, this, this gives you a, a picture of the best relating data. Okay, so what we're saying here is that uncertainty has a uh, correlation to being negative and litigious also has a, a stronger correlation of being negative. Is that one way to, to read this? Well, actually, if you go, the, the positive correlations are in green. Mm -hmm. And the, there's no negative correlations here. There's either zero or, or 
lower correlations going down, like the worst is like 10%, but everything is basically neutral, a zero or positive. It's going from slightly positive to very positive. Now we're moving to the regression model, okay? Okay, and what this regression model is trying to do is it's predicting the litigious sentiment. Interesting thing here we see with this is all the data points, you're basically most all your data points are 25 or less. And the other thing that's pointing to why it's a good fit is you see all the data points that are residing close to the trend line. Mm -hmm. That's that's another way of confirming. I'll say that's why that 80% that correlation we saw in the correlogram. Now we can see it on a scatter plot chart where this other thing. The other thing we've added to this chart just to the histograms are both the X and the Y axis, and that's showing, okay, like we saw in the previous charts on the descriptive side that the data is skewed. You know, as you go out higher in the counts, it gets, gets more and more skewed, uh, right skewed. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty of what uh, we're describing of more of the details, okay? So you're, you're asking, well, what, what are the causes of these sentiments or these categories, okay? So we're seeing here, Again, we're using the, the counts as the driver, all right? So we can see something similar with negative and litigious, with breach and breached, whereas we see uncertainty, may, could. There's some other words like exposure to or appears. Mm -hmm. And th those are all the high-level high numbers of giving me, you know, everything that is the highest counts right. with these categories. And that so basically what it's trying it's giving you a cause and effect kind of scenario here. That's why it's diagnostic. It's telling you what what is driving this at the word level. Okay. Give you specifics. Yeah, this is interesting. And this helps for me kind of tie a lot of what we've been looking at so far, kind of tying it back and seeing um at a little more detailed level why it's and uncertainty is where it's at or litigious is where it's at. And it's because of these specific words, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. So these are the specific words within that. What was, is it P? What was the website? PRC? PRC, Public Registry Clearinghouse. Okay. So these are those specific words um, within there relative to the breaches that are discussed that show the sentiment, right? Yes. Okay. That's right. Perfect. Okay. okay, so we move on to chart seven. And what this is, is key biograms. Okay, what well, a biogram again is just a sequence of two words. And just in R, you have the ability to create these biograms where you have the ability to say, okay, I, I have, give me data on this side of the fence, but give me everything that's following it. Mm -hmm. through all of these uh, summaries about the breaches and tell me what, tell me what's following. Okay. So I says, okay, just out of curiosity, let's see what's matching up with data and what's matching up with malware. Cause it, here we're trying to discover what, what it is that's driving this or seeing more from a different angle, what potential risks are from these. Okay. So what we're saying on data breach is the big one. Cause you can see that's a count well over 600. Mm -hmm. There's, Couple others here, data included in data security are the next highest ones. 
So I was kind of surprised when I looked at this initially to say, well, malware, there's not much uh, traffic here with the word counts. But again, this is a discovery process and you're, you're doing these searches just to see what shakes out, what you can identify. So that you know where to go deeper, right? Yes. And you can either, you, you can dig as much as you want and put the combination of, of words as to what it is, especially if you, you're well grounded in, in cybersecurity type terminology and stuff, you, where to get uh, more information that might be useful to, to a potential client or a client, you know, just having conversations with them. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so... Um, the last thing I want to say is this is more quantitative because it's got the occurrence. Though. Now we're going to take a look at another uh, tool here, and it's a negation biogram network. Okay, this is a qualitative approach to looking at associations. We're trying to identify risks among the word associations. Okay, so if we take like that upper left piece there without, we see three right off the bat. That's without permission, without proper, without authorization. You go to the next cluster, things like not disclosed, not discovered, not authorized, not recovered. You know, those, those are ones that are have a hint or suggesting risk. Uh, if you go to the no cluster that has like no evidence, no reason, no specific, or even no password, those, those are shaking out a, a risk type sentiment in, in this mix. And again, this is a qualitative piece. It's a good add-on to the other pieces because you're getting an understanding of not just the words that are driving the sentiments that we saw early on, from the higher level to the more detailed level or even a predictive level. It's just giving us a good feel of what's, what's out there, what are the associations. Before we go to that last one, so I know you've mentioned the word qualitative and quantitative. Um, right. analysis a couple different times. Could you kind of explain to the folks what, what, the dif what those are and what the differences are between the two? Sure thing. Okay, when you're thinking a qu quantitative thing, you're thinking in terms of math involved in the, the picture here. Okay, so you're, you're saying, okay, well, how much of something or, you know, what, what is the tally of it? Or like I said, when we look at the key biograms, that chart, that gives you all the, the tallies with those counts here. Whereas when you come to this network, you're seeing the word relations and you're just seeing a different picture of how it's, how it's related. And you have this cluster that's branching out and showing all the words that are associated with each of these negation words. Perfect. Okay. Okay. So... Now, when looking at the... Reach Biogram Network, what we have here is two words, okay, and it's just like, this is a, a different point of view like we saw with the key biograms. Now we're looking at this from the qualitative piece where we can see all the relations in what's what's tied in the data. We can see key ones like data theft, data exposed, and data loss. When we look at the malware side, we see malware attack and malware installed. And this is asking us, okay, of the breaches, what happened? Why did it happen? And these are answered or can be used to answer those types of questions. All right. So if we're going to tie this back to audit, I know we've been talking about risks and, and the risks that it show and how we can use it to make conversations. How would an individual auditor use this on an audit or to develop an audit? 
Okay, so the the real use in this, you can use this on the front end to develop an overall audit plan, like an audit plan for the year. You, you can use this information to adjust an audit plan for the year. Uh, and how you can use this is you have a feed of information that is coming in and it's giving you fresh information to look at things from a different angle what you might not have thought of before. If you have these pieces and you, you look at your audit plan and you, you look at proposed procedures for, for conducting the, the risk assessment for the specific audit, it, it can help you fine tune this information and keep ahead of what's emerging. And that said, it's, it's more of an informational tool to help you make adjustments you know, as to how you're going to go about your audit. You know, if you're seeing out there in industry or just broadly speaking, if such events are like you're seeing a lot of data theft occurring, okay, you're starting to think, okay, what kind of procedures am I going to have in place to see that we have working controls in there to mitigate that, that uh, risk, for example. And so it just... I want to say you think of this as more information to be to give you tools to have a better brainstorming exercise with your peers within your unit. That's okay. what I want to say. Okay. And what would be your your biggest takeaway from this? So there's nine different uh, graphs that we've looked at. Um, what would you say would be the the specific point maybe within one that sticks out to you that would make you as like an auditor ask more questions? I'd be curious about if you're starting from the descriptive side and the litigious side. Okay, what what words are driving these this litigious sentiment? Because what I'm curious to start digging in is okay, these various companies or entities, how are they affected from a legal aspect from the fines? And in that gives you at least it gives you a starting point there to look at where where to go get other information to see how fines are impacting companies and why those fines are coming about. Uh, another piece would be looking at, well, if you, a lot of value in predictive analytics because there seems to be a big demand for that, even more so than the descriptive or diagnostic from my understanding or my reads about data analytics. But that, Seeing, seeing that relationship over time and seeing how it, it's behaving over time is, is a critical piece because it may lessen off, it may change, your correlations may change. And having, having that knowledge of how the information is flowing and how the correlations are changing and how that trend is changing is, is key to uh, either you, you keep on that path exploring that information and getting that to, to make sure that you're capturing all the de the details of the words that are driving these sentiments, or it, it may cause you to go to a different direction and look at things a little differently because things are popping up. Okay, the other piece that I think is pretty useful is having something like this with with a series of charts gives you the opportunity to look at things from a holistic approach rather than just trying to focus in on one and the design of this approach is, was to start at a high level and be able to answer questions and think like an auditor and give the details as to what, what is going on under the hood, so to speak, and 
that way you have both working together. It gives you the chance to look at your audit plan and say, well, how am I going to allocate my resources to look at these kinds of things and, and set that pecking order, the priority, of how you do your audits during the year. Okay. And then what's the tool, if somebody wanted to do this type of analysis, what tool is this in that they would be able to do it in? This tool, the R programming language is the, the nuts and bolts of this is what created this dashboard, these charts. It's pretty useful because it has so many uh, tools in there. These tools, what I say, are packages equipped with functions, just like you see in Excel. Mm -hmm. And you have all these various functions. You're putting this information together to go uh, search for information, predict information, and, and get these answers as to the, the whys or, or the what's. Text information was since you have such a boom of unstructured data, having a deep appreciation for the unstructured data and a way to extract information from there puts you in the driver's seat because you're able to address issues or concerns that the audit committee's concerned about or the board or top management. You're able to report on business continuity issues more timely. You're able to avoid wasting precious time or resources. You're able to increase, this is a big one, increase the confidence with management and the board and retain it. Because at the end of the day, if you're internal audit, you're, I'd say your goal is to be in the role of a trusted advisor and having a tool like this with text mining and sentiment analysis and biograms, this puts you in the, the driver's seat to get there because yeah. you're, you can demonstrate that you're proactive. Yeah, which they're definitely going to appreciate and, and saying this is what's on the horizon. Let's go ahead and kind of nip it in the bud yes. right now. Yeah. Perfect. Is it, I also want to say it's another form of business intelligence because you you have this information and it's keeping on, on the forefront of things. It's really important. Correlation measures how well two variables relate. Okay, so let's say, for example, we're looking at, you know, we can change the subject here a little bit. Let's look at payroll, right? What we're trying to predict is payroll expenses, right? But we're looking at the things and how they interrelate. And let's say they go in lockstep with each other. And, you know, as one increases, the other increases. We can see through running a correlation calculation that the correlation say, let's say it's really good, like 95%, okay? Okay, so what, what this tells us is understanding that it's, it's a good precursor to setting up a regression model and it's to explain the data relationship with these two things that we're interested in. Because when we go to a regression model, when we, when we align up and set up the information, you know, we're, we're looking for the outliers, what's farthest away from the trend line. We're looking to see what's following in, in a normal sequence. And this, if you get the model right, you can you can pretty much use this going forward if you test it out enough. This is a, it's another branch of machine learning. This is a type of what's called the supervised learning. Mm -hmm. and that's a whole other different discussion, but I just thought I'd mention that. You know, another example of correlation, you, you look at the, the sentiments that we've been talking about. You're looking at negative versus litigious sentiment. And um, I think I want to add some 
little more description here as to you, you have two types of correlation. You have positive and negative correlations. So let's just say that the negative sentiment uh, word counts, those are increases, but as those increase, the, the litigious sentiment is also increases. That means you got a direct relationship or a positive correlation. But let's say the other angle or the, the different scenario here is, let's say you have the negative sentiment increasing, but the litigious sentiment is decreasing. There you'd see an inverse relationship, an indirect relationship or a negative correlation. So getting back to what I, I think we've covered earlier in this uh, podcast, the correlation is a really good tool because it gives you the ability to understand how the data is relating. Okay. And it's a diagnostics in its own right because it tells you how the things are relating in your data set. And a really good way to look at correlations is through a parallelogram, like we showed earlier in the podcast, because you see multiple relationships in one go, one chart. The thing that so, I think of when I think of correlations, uh, the example that I always kind of enjoyed anyway, and you know, there's the saying correlation doesn't equal causation, right? Just because it correlates right, right, right. doesn't mean that, that one variable causes the other variable to happen. Um, and the one that I always liked was when I go to sleep with my shoes on, I wake up with a headache. So there's a strong correlation of I go to sleep with my shoes on, I wake up with a headache. So the cause isn't, you know, the causation. It's not because I'm wearing shoes that gives me the headache. It's because I drank too much and passed out with my shoes on, which <laughs> That's that was always one. They told me that when I was in college and I was like, I'll, I'll never forget that. All right, so just because there's story. a correlation between two variables doesn't mean that uh, that is the cause of it. So we kind of have to dig into, okay, well, these two things are related. Uh, let's understand why they are related, right? Right, right. <laughs> you like that? Huh? <laughs> That's a good story. Okay. Do you have that data set available? Like what I was thinking what might be interesting is have you heard of a website called Voyant? Yes, I have. So I'd be interested, could you relatively quickly throw it into like this uh, data set, throw it into Voyant because Voyant is literally just copy and paste your data in there and it shows you some of this. Um, and then maybe we could look at that so that the, the person viewing this can kind of do it with their own data, throw it into buoyant and see kind of what shakes out. Sure. All right. And then there's that word, it's saying uploading corpus. And that's what you're saying, right? When all these words together are, are called the corpus, right? As opposed to. Yeah. Um, all, you know, all the summaries, because this file has a layout of each company and it's got the timeline of the year and stuff like that. And in that, so all of the summaries combined, that's what you call a corpus. Yep. It could be like a, a whole bunch of news stories, for example, or blogs. You know, all of that falls in with that that term corpus. Yeah, I think the the first example I ever heard was with just Twitter, or social media, and companies analyzing the words that people were using to talk about their company, and they would pull all that data in. Uh, I guess into their corpus is what you know you're you're saying we call it. Would pull it all in and then analyze it and say you know, broadly, people are saying negative things about this promotion that we just did. 
Um, and then they're able to use that to kind of tweak their approach and, and their own wording. Okay, so here's the data made public. There's the company, there's the city state. Uh, it actually gives the type of breach, gives the type of organization. Here's some of these that has the total records stolen. I think I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And here's the information source. Here's the uh, source URL. Here's the year it happened. And then there's the location, latitude, longitude. Uh -huh. And but in here, um, when I did this in R, I was looking to just to pick up I think the company name and the description. Okay. So in yeah, the description, that is like really what our, our corpus is. That's the main piece. Yes. For the individual exactly. Words. Yes. The individual words within here are what we were counting to get that um, that sentiment analysis to see that the count of what do we say? Um, the word may was one right. indicative of uncertainty. Yes. Okay. Now the beauty of this, because there's another package here has all these things. Somebody already did a hell of a lot of work in the R community and they have all these, these lexicons that are out there, but you also have the chance or opportunity to do custom lexicons to, to get it to, to suit your needs or what's more appropriate for the situation here. Mm -hmm. All right. So what we did was we took the corpus that, you use in the analysis and we put it in a tool called Voyant and I guess the website's voyant-tools.org. So now we're going to show that and you can kind of tell us what what you're seeing here. So this is Voyant. Does anything stand out to you? Relative frequencies I've seen used in other charts in my, okay, yeah, and there's a word cloud. So word clouds are definitely used. Me, when I was learning this text mining stuff, I said word clouds are good, but the the bar chunks with the counts and are, are I think are more useful because they give you the the counts where the the thing about the uh, what you're seeing there with the word cloud is it's giving you all the words and the ones with the the higher uh, counts. They're, they're darker, they show up and they're bigger. We're like, this one is interesting. I like that with the relative frequency. I've seen that used with other types of analytics in, in the text mining realm. And get R can give you this kind of stuff with trends, you know, depending, it can give you a linear trend, it can give you nonlinear trends. You see these relative frequencies, that's basically a calculation where it takes like, let's just say if they're, they're, they're grouping it on like those higher level sentiments, like those categories, mm -hmm. and they're giving it, and they're, they're the denominator is the total word counts. That's basically what that is, you know. Um, the, the thing I try to do with these charts is just to be, be isn't the audience for it to be as intuitive as possible yeah for them to understand it i try not to put too much information on the charts because i don't want to confuse them uh, so basically the tools i have about visualizations um i got a 
post plan to I got to learn how to do chatter plots and there's there's some information I found as to the arguments versus word clouds versus chatter plots. Um, I'm going to be sharing that with LinkedIn here pretty soon. Um, but th this is pretty in interesting information as to what it is. Um, to me, to me, what boy can do, it seems it's giving you stuff at a high level what's what's sticking out. And um be more interesting to find out how these document segments work. Maybe it's just talking about the counts of the words in there. Because each 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 summary or each instance of a breach being reported in that summary or description, all the verbiage in there describing what it is, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. But I really like their visuals are really clear and crisp. They do a good job. Okay. Yeah, I just thought it'd be interesting to to show folks, you know, what you could do um, within this and what it might be telling you. So it's definitely something that also makes more sense the more you understand the data. So if we are using an audit report or something like that, you copy and paste yeah. the the text in here. Um, it'll make more sense to you about what this means and how, you know, what a relative, the relative frequencies are and, and things like that. So, um, okay. I just wanted you to kind of take a look at that, see if there's anything that stuck out to you and just a way to share maybe another tool, especially a free one, um, with people. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. This was, um, like I said, it's a topic that I'm familiar with just because it, it's in the realm of analytics, but one that I haven't really taken a deep dive into, especially one I haven't heard for use cases and using it in audit. So I thought it was very interesting. I appreciate the time. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.